Well, welcome. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of tonight. Hopefully you're sitting at a table with some other people because tonight we're going to ask a couple of questions and discuss some of the things that we've learned in life. And so grab a, a seat with somebody around you and uh, let's get gathering. That's what we call this place on Wednesday nights. We come together as a church and we gather in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's kind of our hope is tonight. So what I want to do tonight is I want to kind of set the stage for what Wednesday nights are as we go into 2016. I want just to focus on a, I want to focus on a couple things. We come together as a group of people to celebrate Jesus, to be protected like Eric was talking about, on, about Jesus. But the truth is we come on Wednesday night. This is a high capacity group because they come in the middle of their week and they come to grow. There's some growth that's humming, coming here, and you have to dig in and, and open up. And the way that we do it here on Wednesday night is we do it through the Word. We do it through songs, like Jeff just sang. We do it through fellowship. We do it through food. We do it through getting to know other people into deeper and better relationships. We try and get away from the darkness in our life, and we not, uh, try and bring more light. And we do that in the middle of the week. And so that's what we're trying to do. Now... I, I forgot to find it, but we have this hand of God. And tonight we're going to talk about the hand of God. But we have this little statue that's been following Journey for about four and a half years. We found it at a garage sale or something. And it's somewhere back here. And every so often it mysteriously appears. And, and Jeff Barnett up there has tried to hide it and get rid of it a couple times. And it always comes back because the hand of God is strong. And tonight we're going to see the hand of God in action. So if you haven't been here since the beginning of our book study, Daniel, I want to do just a, a little bit of recap of what's happened so far. Daniel, last week, Jeremy's message, what was really insightful and, and, and growing for me was Daniel's an old man now. So what's happened since that? The beginning of the book of Daniel, we see he was a young man, a faithful young man who makes a commitment in chapter one not to defile himself. Not to do things that were against what he believed. So he comes to a place and says, I'm not going to defile who I am and what God wants for me. I'm not going to live like everybody else in the world. That's what makes a faithful man. And then uh, in the next chapter, chapter 2, we see the first dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And it's interpreted by Daniel. And in that interpretation, there's some prophecy. And the prophecy of are these four world empires. And in that prophecy of these four world empires, there's also a prophecy or what we would call a foreshadowing of Christ coming into the world and being the actual, really, uh, the true world superpower. And that's what we see in Daniel chapter 2. Next, in chapter 3, one of my favorite stories of the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, we see that they get thrown into the fire, and as they're into the fire, the king can see that there's another person. They come out of the fire uns, uh, unscathed, uns, uh, no burns on them, and, and God does a miraculous work, and the king praises. This is now the, third, the second time the king praises. And in chapter 4, we come to Nebuchadnezzar's second dream. Daniel has a gift of interpreting God's things to the king. And Nebuchadnezzar has this second dream. And the fulfillment comes confirming that the Most High God 
rules all of mankind. To the point where Nebuchadnezzar is taken out of his kingdom and live like a, a wild animal, eating grass and, and living like an animal until he claims that Jesus, uh, that, that the Lord is God and that he is the one that is the one that gives power and takes it away. And so that was in chapter 4. And then Jeremy started at the beginning of the uh, chapter 5 last week in an event we would call the handwriting on the wall. Now, last week, a little bit of a... Uh, a catch-up of what happened last week was the, the, the story was about booze and idolatry. Jeremy was talking about how you could be defiled uh, by defiling God by just doing drugs and alcohol inside a church like this. How you could make this place uh, a place of desecration because of how we do and what we do. So what's happening is there's drinking and partying in Belshazzar's court. And the king has these guests. And these guests are, are truly partying like rock stars. They're truly living like rock stars. I don't know if you guys have ever hung around people that live like that. I lived like that a little while in my life. Jeff Foss, a little bit. Like he's, he's country, so country is not the same. It's just different. But when you hang out with people that are like rock stars, they feel like there's no rules to them. They can do whatever. They can drive 150 miles an hour down the road. Uh, they don't have any rules. They can break TVs. They can destroy homes. They just don't care because at a young age, they've been given a lot. And here we see that same thing happen. That these guests of, of this young king, uh, Belshazzar, they're, they're praising and they're partying. And they start drinking and partying uh, from God's precious um, cups. And utensils that he had in the temple that was taken when Babylon took captivity over Israel. And so what's happening is these guys are praising the creation and not the creator. Think about that for a second. In the, in the text that Jerry read, it says they were praising wood and, and, and stone and, and, and silver and gold and all these things that were created. But they weren't praising the creator. And the truth is, when they start partying like this, and when they start drinking out of this goblet that, that God has actually give, was given to God in the temple, this hand comes in, the hand of God comes in and starts writing stuff on the wall. Now, I don't know about you, but if that happened here today, we'd all be scared. I bet you most of us would run. Except Eric, it sounds like. Everybody else would probably hit for the door. But the truth is, when you see the handwriting of God on the wall, he was panicked. And we got this picture where you could just see the hand of God at work. Now, is this an Old Testament story or is this something that happens today? I think that's something that we need to grab a hold of. The question is this, I want, and I want to do it is I want to open up with some questions tonight. I got two questions. This is the first one. I don't want to spend a ton of time, but I want you guys to discuss this first question. I want you to spend a little bit of time before we even read the Bible. What would be idolatry in your life? I think we got the, it's a little worded differently. What would you consider idolatry in your life today? Now, I'm not talking about what Nita's, I could tell you what I consider Nita's idolatry. I want you to know what your personal was. Don't tell me about your mom or your dad or your grandma or your uncle or something you heard on the radio. I want you to talk about what you consider in your own life what idolatry is. I don't want to give a bunch of time on this because there's another question that I want to get to that I'm going to spend most of the time in. So go around the table. Let's spend about three or four minutes talking about this. What you would consider an idol 
or idolatry today, and then we'll get into the text. I know it's hard, but keep moving and uh, think about what's uh, an idol in your life. Okay, about a minute left, and then I want to move on and uh, start with the message. Okay, let's uh, let's bring it together, and I and I want to do this really quick, so don't uh, don't make this an arduous task. But let's shout out some one-word idols that you discussed. What about this table? One-word idols that you discussed. What? Self-pride. What about you guys? Anybody? Time. What about you guys? What did you guys discuss? One word. Bikes. What about you? This, this young group right here, right in the center here. <laughs> Electronics, that's good. What about you guys? What's that? Albert Einstein is an idol. That's good. What about you guys? Self? You guys? 
Star Wars. Lord help this table. What about you guys? Shopping. What about you guys? Money. Yeah, I love that. That's good. You can see that if you dig into it, we idolize a lot of things. And that's what's happening here in this story. But the handwriting is on the wall in our own lives as well. And you're going to see the hand of God. And I think you'll see that spoken to us today. So if you're able to or willing to, we stand. And we're just going to read a few verses in Daniel from 17. And then we're going to discuss how God's hand is at work in our lives today as well as back in these days. Daniel answered the king, Keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell you what it means. O king, the most high God gave you, your father Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples, all the nations and every and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those who wanted to put him to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when, he, when, when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of every glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with wild donkeys and ate grass as, eh, like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdom of men. And he set over them anyone uh, and, and sets over them anyone he wishes. Let's pray. That was tough. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Lord, I pray for clarity tonight. I pray for patience and love. I pray that the hand of God starts to work in our lives. Lord, I pray that we become dependent on you, that you will teach us something today, that we will hear something, that we will walk away from an idol that we have in our life, and we will come closer to you because of who you are, because you set things in motion. You are a sovereign God, and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So what's happening here is Daniel is being summoned once again. Now he's an older man and, and, and this King Belshazzar is summoning him because none of his enchanters or anybody can answer what the writing on the wall is. And so Daniel is now here and he's given a list. He's kind of been an introduction. The end of Jeremy's message last week was an introduction of who Daniel was. He's done all these things and he's got, you know, he's heard that this man could really speak into this writing on the wall. And Daniel comes and right before Daniel says anything, he says, listen, I'm going to give you a third of my kingdom if you can answer this. I'm going to give you a bounty a lottery, a huge amount of, of money and wealth. A king's reward, if you can answer this. Now, at this point, Daniel, if you know who he is in the Bible, and if you don't, I want to spell it out. He is a man of integrity. There's two men in the Bible that have integrity. One is Job, and one is Daniel. Daniel has unbelievable integrity, and here's what I mean by that. Who in here has a gift, right? We all have our gifts that we do. We can sing, we can dance, we can play instruments, we work with our hands, we work with our mind, we, we, you know, we cut hair, we design stuff. We have gifts, right? 
Who in this place would reject a giant-sized lottery bounty working in their gifts? I would say some of you might do something for five or $10,000 for free because you're going to help a brother out or you're going to help the Habitat for Humanity or something. But I'm talking about $50 million 500 million. This is a third of the kingdom, the largest kingdom. And he's like, take your money. I don't even want it. Because I don't really need the money. What I want to do is I'd rather be truthful and honest before God and do what he wants. And I'm not doing it for a love offering or a blessing or a gift. I mean, I I don't like to do stuff for free, but there's, there's a point where you're like, well, that's a lot of money. You know, I could set up my family and foundations and you know, I could have the J-Rod Foundation with all kinds of funny stuff, and it could be really cool. But the truth is, he walks away from this. And, 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 and I think there would be a few people, but the truth is, this is a handsome amount of money. A third of this, this kingdom, and this is the top kingdom in the world. So this is a lot of money. And he says, keep your money, keep your gift. I'm going to tell you the truth, and I'm going to do it for free. I'm not going to bill you. For knowing what the truth of God is. And that's really the, how the kingdom of God works. We go to hospitals. We meet people on the street. We meet people and we tell them. Hey God is real. God is alive. And it's a free gift if you're willing to accept it. All you've got to do is open up your hands. And let go of what you're holding on to. Whatever idol you have. And you can receive God and what God is doing. So from that point in, in verse 17, you see Daniel reject this bounty. And he says, I'm just going to tell you the truth. And then Daniel recounts the history of what's going on here. You see that he goes back and talks about the Lord of God of the Most High. And he starts talking about this Nebuchadnezzar guy. Now, Jeremy referred to him as, in the text, it refers to him as his father. But it was probably his grandfather. And he's talking about the history of Nebuchadnezzar and his second dream. And how this dream comes to fruition. And how all of a sudden God basically penalizes Nebuchadnezzar for his arrogance and pride. And makes him like a wild donkey. Makes him eat like an animal. I mean, think about it. That's funny for a half hour to go see a dad and a kid play and he's eating a little bit of grass. For a little bit. You could see Jeff doing that with Rhodes. Him and Rhodes out in the backyard eating a little grass, right? But after about a half hour, it's weird. And then days and weeks and months and years that Jeff's out there in the backyard. And Rhodes is going, Dad, are you ever going to come back in? That's really what's happening here. It's not, it's not a pretty sight. And so he's, re, he's, re, he's reiterating this history and Daniel tells him all that's going on and all the arrogance that happened with Nebuchadnezzar because he's trying to speak some truth into this king. Now what I want to do is I want to spend a little bit more time and ask one more question. And once again, this is a personal question. I don't want you, something that you watched on CNN or Fox News, I don't really care about that crap. Can I say crap? I think I just did. So I want you to, to tell the group what you have learned from history in your own life. What have you learned from your personal history? Something that's happened years ago. Maybe it's something that happened to you personally. What have you learned? Tell the group a little bit of knowledge and let's understand what history has done. How it's shaped you. What have you learned from history? So let's go. I want to spend at least five or six minutes on this.
Keep the conversation moving. Okay, a couple more minutes. Let's make sure everybody shares some history. One more minute and uh, we're going to continue. Okay, let's bring it back together. One of the ways that we grow as individuals, one of the ways that we grow in Christ, one of the ways that we dig out of our own personal lives 
some of the holes that we've dug as look at history. Me and Jeff Foss were having a conversation a couple of months ago, and we've probably had this two or three times, and he said something to the point of, man, I, I, I like hearing the stories because he goes, I can learn from stuff that you've done. And, and he goes, I, I'm, I'm smart enough not to try and follow down that road. And I'm like, I don't know if that was a compliment or not, but I think there was something nice in there. But the point is, here's what it says about history. Those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. So why do we need to understand? When I, when I grabbed a hold of history when I was a young kid, I didn't understand. I went to a college professor, and I was probably loaded. And I went up and I said, I don't understand history. And then they said that statement. Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And I said, oh, now it makes sense to me. And then all of a sudden I became a history buff and I became interested in wars and famine and things of, of the world because I don't want to fall into it. Now, needless to say, I fell into it, but, uh, you know, it didn't help. But today I'm trying to learn from it. Those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it, especially true to inspirational history. What we have what we follow as Christians, what we believe as Christians is we have inspirational history. There's a lot of stuff in here that's historical and it's inspirational and it's there to teach us, to give us something that we can grab onto. So here's what we're doing today. If you look back at what's happened, Daniel has come into the picture because no one can read the writing on the wall. And the writing is an indictment. Anybody know what an indictment is? Anybody ever been indicted? I have. An indictment is actual physical writing of your charges. Saying that you've done something wrong and it's brought from a prosecutor, right? Here we see an indictment of God writing upon the wall. And the indictment continues in verse 22. It says, but you, his successors, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though they knew all this. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. The vessels from his house were brought to you as, as you and your nobles, wives, and concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods made of silver, bronze, uh, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which you did not see, hear, or understand. But you have not glorified God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore, he has sent this hand and this writing was inscribed. So here is the indictment. He's like, listen, this is what you have done. You have basically mocked me and you've become arrogant. You've seen your grandfather walk around or be on his hands and knees. And if you haven't seen him physically, you've heard about the stories of your crazy grandfather who lost the kingdom. We all know about the crazy aunt and uncle or crazy grandma and grandpa or for some of us, crazy parents, right? Just saying. We've all heard of those history things in our life. And this was pretty serious. And this is the indictment that he brings. He is rebuking the king for who he is and his arrogance. When we have pride and arrogance in our life, we're reliving history. And we're supposed to break that down so that we can make a new history and make a new life in who we are. Daniel is rebuking the king. Belshazzar did not learn from his father or his grandfather's experience. He did not learn. He exalted himself and said, I'm the king. I should be glorified. Who cares if these are holy instruments? I'm going to party with them. 
I'm going to show everybody in this place how cool I am. And this is how I'm going to live my life. He exalts himself instead of glorifying God. The handwriting on the wall was a message sent for him as he's living this rock star life. He's in the, 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 the Beverly Hills Hilton, tearing up the place, drinking with the president's, you know, I don't know, chandelier or whatever they have, you know, and all of a sudden there's writing on the walls like you shouldn't be doing this. He's partying, he's out of control. And the question comes to us today, when will you learn from history? Your history, my history, the person next to you's history. When will you learn and what can you learn from history? Shouldn't we have learned in our life as Christians, if we've been around for a few years, about the pride of Pharaoh? Shouldn't that been a story that we could have grabbed a hold of? Isn't that enough to see this prideful man end up destroying the firstborn of every child in his, in his nation? Shouldn't we have learned from that? How about when the Israelites come to the promised land? And one or two of them are saying, let's go. And the other ten say, oh, we can't. Shouldn't we have learned from that moment? Or how about the murmuring of the Israelites in the desert, complaining for 40 years and whining about all these things that they brought on themselves? Shouldn't we and can't we learn from this inspired stories that we get in the Bible? Or do we always have to learn on our own accord? Historically, until I was 30 years old, I only learned from myself. Even though I was told from my parents and other people, try not to go through this place. Indeed, inspired history was written for us. History is written for us to grow from. And that's what we see in this message. The history here, Daniel is bringing and saying, listen, you should have learned this from history. This hand of God is writing to you saying, I'm, I'm sorry, but you should have learned this. Here's what Romans 15, the Apostle Paul writes about Romans. At the end of this chapter, he's writing about history. And here's what it says, 15.4. Such things were written in Scripture long ago to teach us. And these Scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. We have a promise in God. We have trials before us. We have hurdles in front of us. We have big mountains that need to be broke down before us. But if we know history and you see someone that has, ha has had something happen spectacularly, miraculously in their life, you go and say, how do I do that so that I can have something even close to what you have had? That hunger, that thirst, and that desperation allows you to be transformed. And that's what we see here desperation and transformation, but in the wrong way. This man is terrified by the handwriting. Daniel comes in and he's trying to explain to him what's happened, but it's probably and might be a little too late. We'll see. Belshazzar fails to benefit from the knowledge of understanding God. Do you guys realize this guy is a king and he understands. He has historians. He's got all the things that have happened with Daniel's whole life. How do we know that? A few minutes ago, he just recited all the things that he heard about Daniel in last week's message. All the stuff. He knows from the king's annals that these things are written out and understood. He knows how God has uh, dealt with his forefathers. 
as well as how God has dealt with mankind. At this time in history, there's been some crazy things that has happened with the Israelites. There's been some miraculous things. So they understand, even though they might not follow God, they understand what God has done and who he is. And so this comes upon him, this sentence and the conclusion. Verse 25 says, the inscription's interpretation. This is the writing that was written in, 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 and was inscribed. Main, main, to call parsin. This is the interpretation of the message. Main means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and has brought them to an end. To call means that they have been weighed in the balance and found deficit. Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Mendes and the Parisians. The handwriting is on the wall. This is what's been came. This is the sentence that's come down. And if you've ever been in a courtroom, either watching it on TV or in live court, at some point they call the jury. They call the jury comes back in. Everybody comes in and they're coming to read the sentence. And here's the sentence. The sentence from the handwriting, Daniel explains. He says, your days are numbered. This word main is a, is a participle. I don't know if you guys know what a participle, but a Hebrew participle is actually a verb adjective. It's, it's, it's a composed verb adjective. It it's, it's functions like an adjective, but it's been constructed like a verb. That's what we're talking about here. And in this particular one, this Aramaic word is a monetary word, um, and it's talked about number. It, it's, it talks about being numbered. Now, it's repetition is saying this is a strong number, totally numbered, thoroughly numbered. It's been looked at double. It's been checked twice. Your days are numbered, and it says twice. The second thing is this tikal, and this is, not, once again, also a monetary unit, but as this participle, it also means it's being weighed. And it's connected to what they might say is the Hebrew shekel. But this is a weighed term. And he says, look it, the judgment is weighed. You have been weighed and you can find that you're, you're, the, the things that you've done are gone against you because they've weighed heavily against God. And this final word is parsin is once again another monetary unit of, of shekel. It's a half a minna. And, it's, and, and it really means to be divided. Your days are numbered. The place is going to be divided. And your life is, is on, the, on, the, on the bad side because everything is weighing against you. That's what we see here. That's what the writing on the wall is. The message of Daniel's interpretation is that Belshazzar's kingdom has, has been doomed for destruction. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever lost a business or a marriage or some relationships or something like that, when things come to an end, and, and I don't know about women, but I know this, that men's greatest, the greatest tragedy that can happen in a man's life is failure. In a marriage, in a business, in life, in relationships, it's pretty stark. And for a man to come out of that, it's got to be something miraculous. And God is trying to do the miraculous here, but he's, but he's doing it in a way that's trying to teach us something. So let me explain that a little bit more. The king himself has been weighed and divided and his time has been numbered. The kingdom is going to be taken away and given to someone else. Just like the writing in your life, the writing on the wall in your life could be positive or negative. 
Something could be taken away. Something could be ready to be given to you if you're doing the right things. Let's continue on the verse. I want to get to this last part. Then Belshazzar gave an order. He clothed Daniel in purple and gold chain around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he should uh, be a third ruler of the kingdom. So even though this guy has been uh, weighed guilty, his verdict is in and he's been sentenced, he still honors what he says he's going to do. He honors him in Laker, purple and gold. A lot of Laker fans here, that's good. He honors him in this royalty of purple and gold. And he's saying he is now part of the royal uh, class because of who he is and what he has done. And he's, uh, he's true to what he says he's going to do. And he's giving a third of what though? It says his kingdom, but let's continue to read because it might be something a little different. That very night... Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed, and Darius, the Mede, uh, received the kingdom at the age 62. So he received a third of nothing because the kingdom was given to somebody else. So that very night, he died. And that was the handwriting on the wall. Now listen to this real quick. This reminds us of a story in the gospel. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15 to 21, if you want to read that later, it's talking about a rich fool. A rich fool who has saved up his whole life and he's got all this stuff and he's going to build bigger barns because he's just going to sit back and eat, drink, and be merry. And that night that the barns are done, the, the, the parable says, you fool, tonight you're going to die. So all that you've worked for and all these barns that you've built and all these storehouses are going to go to someone else. One day boasting, dead the next day. And that's how life is. Even for us as individuals. One day we're, we're enjoying a relationship and the next day we're sorrowful and mourning and maybe didn't get to say what we wanted to say. As with all the Old Testament accounts, all the stories, all the history, most of that stuff is written to us as a caution. This message, this text, the scriptures that we read, we come to church not just because it's always a fun thing. We come so that we can be refined and grow and become a deeper follower of Jesus Christ. Looking at the handwriting in the wall and saying, is that me? Is tomorrow the day that I... Wrecked my life. Physically dead. Spiritually dead. Emotionally dead. If you've ever been locked up, both with bars or with some sort of something inside your body or in your mind, it's not a pretty place. And it's almost like being dead. This Old Testament count is a caution. Corinthians chapter, First uh, Corinthians 10, 11 says these. This. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of age. It's written for those that are coming to the end of the world, for the end of the age, so that we can look back in history and say, am I so arrogant that I can't even see God moving and working in my life? Am I going to let this pass by another day, another week, another year, another decade before I turn to God and, and, and heed to his plan? Or am I going to look like that fool eating grass and living like a wild animal? And maybe we don't see that today. Maybe we do.
But we do see people in our life going, that person's living and acting and, and reacting like a fool and is doing foolish things. The handwriting on the wall is an idiom today. An idiom is a, is a slang term or something that people don't even know that's from the Bible. If you tell that today to a, a, a junior high or high school, they're like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. And they're like, it's in the Bible. And they're like, what? The world has created what we call an idiom. And what it means is something bad's going to happen. Where did that come from? It comes from the word of God. Something bad's going to happen because of the way that we're living our life. That's what the handwriting on the wall tells us. When we live life like that and we do things that are against God or against our family or against the people that we love or against, uh, against society, the writing is on the wall. It's only a matter of time that your days are numbered and what you had is going to be given to someone else or taken away from you. Tonight I want to I wanna close with two more things. A core belief of this church is stewardship. A core principle of this church is stewardship. We have these 30 beliefs that we have and core principles that we grabbed a hold of from my friend Ed uh, when he came to the church several years ago. And one of them is called stewardship. And, And what this thing, stewardship, means is we believe that everything that we are or everything that belongs to us is from God. And that's what this story talks about. Everything that we are, all the gifts that I have today, all my dyslexia, all of my issues, that's God. And all the good parts of my life are God as well. The house that I have, thank God. The little hoopty car that I crashed in Mexico recently, that's God's car. I hope he fixes it soon, by the way. So my front fender looks a little jacked. But that's God's stuff. Here's what Timothy talks about. And this is a key principle, something that we're supposed to grab onto tonight as part of growing as believers in Jesus Christ. Timothy says in 6, 17, it says, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and be rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Stewardship of what you have and how you live. If you're living wrong, the handwriting is on the wall. If you're living right, you're sowing in good seed and, and, and at some point, things are going to start to grow. It's happened in my life, and it can happen in your life. And that's why we come here on Wednesdays to grow deeper and walk away with this idea of stewardship. So the question is, are you going to listen and heed to the handwriting of God? Let's not wait for the handwriting on the wall... Because when the handwriting on the wall comes, generally we're too late. Judgment has already been passed and the sentence is final. That's what we see in the story of the handwriting on the wall. By the time that this man hears, this king hears about what it means, that night he dies. But there's another story in the text, in the gospel. In John chapter 8, Jesus, also the hand of God, is writing in the ground. And that writing in the ground 
says to us, if you're listening and, and hearing what Jesus is doing, he gets down the hand of God and he starts writing. And that writing for us still gives us time for mercy and grace and for us to change our lives. When the handwriting on the wall comes, judgment is passed. But when Jesus comes and he's on the ground, he's giving everybody there that's seeing the handwriting some time to change their opinions. And one by one, they walk away. Will you wait for the handwriting on the wall? Or will you accept Jesus in the hand of God bending over and writing on the ground saying, today's your day for mercy? Grace transformation a hope a life beyond what you've had today let's pray father in heaven lord i pray that you spoke tonight lord through my dyslexia and some confusion in the readings but lord i know beyond that your hand is at work you're currently right now on the ground writing words of hope and joy in our hearts. Lord, show us what you're writing so that we can move from today. Let us heed to the history that we see in past people's life in scripture and maybe the things that we've done in our past so we don't ever get to that final judgment of the handwriting on the wall. Lord, we come to you today asking for your glory to shine down upon us. We pray for a miraculous transformation and for your love to shine and grow in us from this day forward. We love you, Lord. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.